how much of this life that I'm living is real or it's an illusion. By illusion, it looks like you're living in this developed world. You have these amazing amenities. You have these beautiful cars driving past you, or they might be yours, or you're driving them, and you're living and working to pay for them. You might want to question, is that my purpose of my life, to pay for that tin on wheels or to pay for that building? Because people go into a job, get a 30-year mortgage and renew it a couple times, and they're going right up to the moment they retire, 65, 70, they're still paying for their home. That's not the dream. That's not a dream life. So you should ask yourself, what's the definition of dream? If you can make the dream in the West and you can generate enough material wealth to fulfill your personal needs and those around you and your kids' education and the people you stand to contribute or empower in your life, by all means do and by all means thrive. Make the world a better place from wherever you're planted. Family, you are listening to Concrete Pastures. I'm Nancy Mulemwasisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers. The goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We also discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora. We celebrate the joys, the loves, and the bravery that being an immigrant or dreamer brings. Family, thank you so much for being here, for tuning in. I miss you so much. I know I'm still on reset. We are definitely coming back. This is just a little bit of what season two is about. To all of our new listeners, welcome to the family. Family, as you continue to listen, don't forget to click the subscribe button. Give us this five-star rating on all of the media platforms you are listening on. Write us a review. Let us know what resonated with you. If you'd like to be part of the show, we have the guest form right in the show notes. Right on your phone, click away, fill it out. If you have someone that you know will be great on the show, let them know. Send it to them. Let them reach out to me. And if you're not already following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, what's happening? Come on, support us. Uh, we truly appreciate your support. Uh, follow our pages on all social media platforms. We're everywhere and all of our social media platforms are called Concrete Pastures. Oh, I have some great news. <laughs> Yes, we are launching our own app. Yes, you heard me right. Concrete Pastures is launching our own app. I know as immigrants, we are so busy that we don't have time to go on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on all of these platforms. So we're making everything easy for you. 
And guess what? The app is free. You download the app on your smartphone. I know we all have smartphones now. Download the app on your smartphone and everything media, concrete patches related will be on the app. Our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter included, and our website, concretepatches.com, including our merchandise, the t-shirt line and the mags will all be there. This way you don't have to go to all of these different places. Everything will be in one and a sweetener for you guys. Our YouTube videos are all on the app as well. Ooh, so excited. <laughs> Just a reminder for the t-shirt line, when you buy the t-shirt line or the mags, I'm not sure if you still remember, but 50% of the proceedings, they go back to our veteran that makes the t-shirts and the mags. Concrete Pastures is all about giving back to all communities. Please don't forget to support us. Download the app once the app is out. The app is coming out before we launch season two. So please look at uh, look out on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. We'll be posting it everywhere once we launch the app. It's coming out soon. I'm work I'm actually working on it. So everything, all of social media, everything will be in one place. Making life easy. The app is free, guys. Free. No money. Free. So please support us just by downloading it and using it and get inspired through our conversations. A huge thank you to FMG Radio for continuing to give us visibility on their platform. Family, please let's continue to support them by tuning in to fmgradio.com. Okay, where am I back? Ooh, I know. I was on reset. I just had to come in for a little bit. You know, sometimes you have a conversation with someone, you get so inspired. You just want to have someone else listen to hear the story. Not even from you, just... <laughs> I didn't want to retell this story to somebody. I just wanted for all of us, again, I can't wait to listen to this episode myself one more time. I truly wanted for all of us to be inspired. Uh, let's meet our guest that inspired me. So his name is Ronnie Rich. He's my fellow countryman from Zambia. He's African. He's no stranger to a life of an immigrant family. Ronnie Rich is a well-being coach for executives and corporates transformational leader, keynote speaker, and the founder of FitBanker.com. Hello, Ronnie. Hey, Nancy. How's it going? Oh, good. I'm excited to have you here. So excited. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me here. Great to be here. Great to... I'm uh, looking forward to connecting to your, to your listeners, and hopefully they get to connect with me as well. Yes. Um, like I said, you are from my country, our home country together, not mine. <laughs> Absolutely. 
just you know share with us on what it was like in Zambia obviously you and I have different experiences even though we are from the same place just give yeah. us a little bit of what it was like and what got you you know to leave it all right awesome so uh, firstly thanks for having me here really grateful to be here and I love what you're standing for about having especially people from the diaspora from our Zambian community you know go on to find the purpose to find the passion to live their dream it's something i truly believe in and i truly believe as a well-being coach as well a big part of well-being is finding your purpose and applying yourself in this world in a career in a livelihood where you're you're applying your natural strengths and you're in your authentic nature and uh we can search and search and search and search for our purpose and we may find it or sometimes our purpose finds us through certain turn of events and and that's i think how i've come across what i do currently for a living uh i love what i do for a living uh but it wasn't always this case uh so i'll i'll kick off telling you about my uh journey in zambia so i grew up in uh in in zambia in kitwe um african born and uh, having grown up in kitwe i uh, studied there went to the convent school there st john's convent went to impelemba secondary school went to kalushi trust school there Uh, and I had a great career. Midway through my high school, I decided to do uh, home studies, and so I left the sort of institutional academic place, did a year of tuitions to do my O levels privately because, amongst the group of friends at the time and and, and members in our, our community who were doing that, I thought, you know, let's try that to kind of speed up getting to your O levels. Uh, and most of them would tend to go abroad overseas for their further studies. While I'm Zambian and I'm third generation Zambian, my grandfather moved there when it was Northern Rhodesia. My mum's side, I'm seventh generation African and, and they're from East Africa, from Zanzibar. So I'm seventh generation African. But uh, on the street, on the ground, if you look at me, you'll think, hey, are you Zambian? And uh, I grew up because uh, I mean, we, our heritage comes from India many generations ago. Um, but we are uh, just as as many you know Jamaicans in America or um, you know Afro Caribbeans or uh, African Americans in America identify as American. We are and I am 100% Zambian. And uh, but because we're from of Indian origin, we would have been or experienced life somewhat also as a minority growing up in Zambia. And coming from this Asian background, some of the while we've geographically moved many generations ago, a lot of the values and culture carries on. One of the big things they place importance on is education. Getting a decent education, and then you get a decent and safe job. Yeah. Uh, the intention is good, but sometimes not everybody's cut out for that. Sometimes some of us might be more entrepreneurial driven or politically driven, or some other calling we might appeal to more. And so, growing up in Zambia, uh, I would I would probably you know say we were semi-comfortable, uh, middle class, and uh, historically our family uh, were in business. They did very well and they went through their financial ups and downs, yeah. lost everything. And I grew up through one of the siblings of a, a business family who was going through his hardships, which was my dad, to really kind of uh, keep us comfortable, get us going to school, just about being able to pay for our school fees in the schools that we went to. Uh, when it came to doing our grade 12 or all levels early on like most of our friends uh their 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 parents would be able to afford to send them overseas to university in our case uh that wasn't an option we weren't financially that well off to be able to do that and um we started to 
uh, study locally in uh, Chingola. I studied in Chingola at Accountancy Training College. Mm. And I went into accounting and I chose accounting only because it was a logical, analytical qualification, which on paper looks like you could get a good job, you could get a steady salary, and you'd be safe. But not necessarily that that matches my authentic nature, right? And so we go there because it's some of the few options that are there. And it's also something being offered in Zambia as an international qualification. So you think, hey, if I do this overseas chartered accountant qualification, maybe someday I could go go abroad. Um, not knowing whether you could, not knowing whether Zambian experience would be appreciated or recognized globally. Uh, but that's that was the start. I then graduated from Zikas, uh, Zambia uh, Center for Accountancy Studies in Lusaka. And uh, I completed my ACCA there. So my... That was, you know, in summary, my kind of education background. But even before I went full into professional, there's a small period of my life, which um, when I left the institutional structure of high school in Plembe, I got into uh, a number of friendships, which some people might categorize as bad company. And I used to, and there were a group of risk takers. They were entrepreneurs. They were leaders. Um, some might call them thugs, some might call them gangsters, and I got into a lot of trouble with them. I got in trouble with the law. I got into a lot of wheeling and dealing. I even got locked up a number of times, something a lot of people don't know. Um, and so I was in trouble with the police quite a lot growing up in Zambia. Uh, and this is as a teenager, under 18. Um, that was a phase of my life just after I left in Palembe. And, and while in the midst of doing my accounting studies, um, all this was kind of going on in the background as well. So I'd part-time attended college, part-time I'd be willing dealing, part-time dealing with, <laughs> with lawyers and the court and the police system. Uh, it's something that is not publicly out there, but yeah. I really want people, the listeners of Concrete Pasture, to yeah. really get, regardless of your background, regardless of your setbacks, yeah. regardless of any mistakes or errors that you've made, everything is transformable. Um, and then... And then once I graduated, I focused on my career. I started off my career with KPMG and accounting and audit practice in Kitwe. Uh, and then I moved to Deloitte where I was for another two years. And about three and a half years experience in Zambia, uh, an opportunity came up and then I moved overseas. So I'll, I'll pause there for now, but that in a nutshell is, is, is my 25 years in Zambia. Wow. Very cool. Zika, you're giving me memories now with Zika. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Did you, did you used to go there? Do you have friends oh, there? No, no. I, 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 from uh, me, Zambia, just high school and U.S. after that. But oh, because... Wow. Um, so so you escaped early. I did my full education there. <laughs> yeah, so um, Zika's, I just used to go, just like you. I would go, uh, have friends there. They, I used to go to school. So I just go in their dormitories and hang out. That's what I used to do. You know. Awesome, awesome. Those dorms, yeah. a lot of fun used to happen. Oh, my place. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, oh, goodness. Thank you for sharing um, the, the part of not so good, the experience that you went through. This way, people just don't see the clean cut and everything else. But it's great. Yeah, it, it's, I will categorize that period of my life as really life of crime, just putting it straight. The school of hard knocks. Right. Mm. And I really want people to get that because because sometimes even I will say this as a Zambian in Zambia who fully identifies as Zambian, sometimes we're perceived as a minority, sometimes we're perceived as foreigners and sometimes we're perceived as having it good. 
But yeah. I really want people to get that this is somebody who at 15 years old is locked up. And uh, we've gone through a whole host of other things, including financial turmoil, uh, our family business going bankrupt, and us not inheriting gifts or assets or businesses or cars or homes from our dad, but we, we inherited debt, which yeah. we had to pay off, right? And so that was really character forming. And I think Zambia is such an amazing place to form character. It's a forgiving place because I think if I had gone through that kind of an upbringing in the West, uh, I would be cancelled. I would be blacklisted. I would not have multiple opportunities in the world that I've gotten to have um, because, because you know, uh, I guess Zambia is a bit more of a forgiving, forgiving place, and uh, and thankfully not convicted for any of the things that happened to me, um, but they were really something that I learned a lot from. Nice. So when did you come to the UK? So I came to the UK in uh, 2005. I came to a small island called Guernsey, which is a, a dot in the water that exists between France and the UK. But it's considered part of the uh, Queen's Protectorate. So it's a bit of um, uh, kind of United Kingdom's uh, islands, right, that, uh, that exist outside of it. And uh, how did that happen? It it kicked off kind of like a love story. So I am uh, in communication with a an ex-Zambian. She's born in Zambia from Chilabombwe, uh, and she's an old friend. Um, and I used to meet up with her, connect with her very seldom while in Zambia, but somehow when she went overseas and the, the likes of email came around and mobile phones were coming out, she got hold of some of the people back home in Zambia and we started to reconnect and stay in touch. And I sort of started to sort of have a long distance relationship with her. And after one or two years, we, we went to meet in some mutual ground like South Africa or, or elsewhere. You know, this relationship was kicking off and she's based in New Zealand as ex-Zambian coming from a mining town, Chilabombo in Moflura. And I was working professionally in an audit firm, but I was doing some other business on the side. And it reached a point where I was making a bit more money in my business on the side. And I thought, hang on, I need to leave my professional career and go and pursue business. And yeah. uh, my girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife, uh, says, no, 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 don't quit. Like, stick to your professional career. You've got chances internationally. That's a great job as a chartered accountant, this, that, the other. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. Who would want to recruit anybody from Zambia? And she says, look, please send me your CV. Let me put it on a few websites uh, and let me try for you. So she sends a CV to some friends. Uh, she puts it on a couple of websites. Within a week, my phone starts ringing and buzzing and I'm getting recruitment agents calling me from Australia, from New Zealand, from the US, from the UK. And I'm like, how on earth are they interested in Zambia? Like, what experience do we have that will be transferable and apply there? Because I think we underrate ourselves in Zambia. We underrate ourselves in emerging markets. And yet there was a lot of interest. And I got job offers from PwC in New Zealand. I got a job offer from ENY an actual job offer stage. So I'm not just saying there was calls. Yeah. I got, you know, more than a couple dozen calls, job offer from New Zealand, from Australia. And then finally, this guy calls me from Scotland and he says, hey, uh, I've got a job for you. It's still with Deloitte, but it's with Deloitte in this place called Guernsey. I said, it's what? And I'd like Google this place and look it up. And there's a small dot in the water called Guernsey, a small rock outside of the UK. And uh, of course, when you go to the website, the website shows you summer pictures of the beach and beach balls and bikinis. And I thought, oh, I could do that island life. 
But when you land on that island, it is like you're watching and entering a scene. Do you ever remember we grew up watching the Hammer House of Horror? Yes. <laughs> it was like a scene from there. There's Cobble Street. It was grey. There was lightning. There was oh, rain. No. And I was like, what have I signed up to? That was uh, that was what I saw the day I landed. And I was like, geez, uh, where have I wound up? And at the time, uh, when I got a job off in New Zealand where my girlfriend was, she says to me, she goes, Ronnie, this is a straightforward choice. You know, the job off in New Zealand was good. It was close to her, but it was less money than the one in, in Guernsey. And she goes, um, it's a very straightforward choice, love or money? And I said, baby, you should have never asked. And I chose money. So uh, I went to Guernsey, uh, which, which wound up being good. And she ended up coming uh, to visit me in Guernsey and uh, later on moved to the UK when I moved from the island to mainland London in 2008. So that's how I wound up, uh, wound up in Guernsey and then mainland UK. Wow. <laughs> Shout out to your, to, to your wife, man. Shout, for her patience, <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were long distance six years, so we'd meet up once a year. Whoa. Maybe twice a year. I'll get then... back to you guys on how you deal with long distance relationships. Because uh, how we a, a lot of our fellow immigrants, yeah. I mean, some of them do have long distance relationships and, you know, it's a big fail. Um, yeah, and then you need to speak to her. Then how she trapped me finally, and then uh, and then we're engaged and married, and now we've got two lovely boys, and we're back in Zambia. Ah, lovely, lovely. Oh my gosh. Um, so you got to London. You get the the the, the nice job that you wanted, the good paying job. Mm. How was your experience there? How was it adjusting aside from raining every day, I guess, and uh, the weather? I, I think the the first two things that hit you. The first thing is what I would call shiny object syndrome, which is you've come to the West, everything works. There's Wi-Fi, there is AC, there is coffees and drinks in the office, which those things were kind of luxuries back home when we left. Yeah. You know? When we were at, uh, at KPMG and uh, Deloitte, there was a set time in the morning. At this time, the guy's going to come around and bring you hot drinks. If you're not there at your desk at that time, you miss the hot drink. You know, that's how it was in Zambia. I don't know. I'm sure it's probably very different now. Um, but uh, going to the UK, you have your own canteen or kitchen, you know, photocopiers, printers. Everything is working. Everything is fine. It's a workable structure. We have great Wi-Fi. We're connected to the world. Um, and so from that perspective, you have beautiful glass offices, great location, great views from your offices. And you think, wow, this is a really beautiful place. Like the perception of the environment you've entered makes yeah. you look like I'm living that definition of success. This is kind of what I see in the movies of that work culture on Wall Street or, or in the West. Yeah. But the, the other thing that surprised me was I came there with some form of uh, imposter syndrome or inferiority complex thinking god like uk has the best of the best they must recruit from the top universities and top college they are yeah. so advanced they're so good with technology they have amazing industry what would i know i've come from a town where we audited mines and mining we did the likes of uh mopani or glencore and uh, kcm or vedanta mines there and multiple others but actually, what I was surprised and blown away by is that when you grow up in Zambia and when you get that professional experience, we get a very, very macro perspective when we're working on a company. And also because Zambia or any emerging market in that time didn't have great controls and systems. So when you're an auditor, 
you actually learn how to test, almost over-test, so you're very diligent in what you do. We have a lot of attention to detail. And when I went to the West, I found people that work in the professional services and audit. The company is so big that they spend years just specializing on learning how to audit, say, your assets or just to audit your cash or to audit your liabilities, one section of a company, whereas we got a very macro experience. So it turned out, while I thought I was coming with not enough experience, we had quite a holistic view of industry. We had a holistic view of companies mm. because in a small town, you get to work with the crown jewels of the companies when you're in Zambia. And if you work with one of those big four companies, when you go to the West, you might work with an SME, a small and medium enterprise, yeah. you know, a, a few hundred thousand uh, dollar or a revenue business or a million dollar, two million dollar, which is which is an SME, a small to medium enterprise, not considered large by any means in the West, right? So actually we had uh, an advantage coming to the West and I got in at quite a, a senior role, an assistant manager role, you know, and then uh, made it to manager in Guernsey uh, with Deloitte. And then 2008, this thing called the global financial crisis happened. And when everybody was fearful and holding on to their jobs and jobs in the finance sector were being cut, I... I found a job going from Deloitte, going to uh, this bank called JP Morgan, leading investment bank, uh, American bank. They're growing in, in UK and Europe, and they decided to grow this division or department at the start of the global financial crisis. And so I remember leaving Deloitte and my boss was like, well, good luck to you and all the best. You, you're, you're brave and a risk taker to be going when right now, the day before that speech, Lehman's bank went down and I'm supposed to report on Monday to this new company. Um, and I went for it and had a great four and a half years with that particular department, JP Morgan. Uh, we grew a team through the recession, grew from about, I was employee number four or five in that division, and we grew it to about 45, 50 people. Nice. Uh, we grew across Europe, opening multiple offices. So it gave me a pan-European experience. Uh, did a small project in New York, just there where you are in uh, oh, Manhattan. Nice. So I did a good time there. Yeah. So it was, it was a great career. Gave me... A lot of high-profile exposure, high-profile experience working in a sector called private equity and real estate services. Uh, and we've got a sense of how investment and investors pool resources together and start to make things happen. They start to invest in a startup or a property concept or infrastructure. And it was, it was a brilliant opportunity to see it from that perspective with JP Morgan. Nice. Why, why did you leave JP Morgan? Uh, so... After four By and a half way, years, that's the only career. bank I've never worked for. Actually, I worked for quite a different uh, banks. That's the only one. Uh -huh. I haven't, I haven't touched. You one. haven't. No. All right. Okay. No, they are a great bank, and as an American bank, bank that was operating in UK, it was yeah. very much the American culture, which I love and I loved. And uh, after four and a half years in one particular area, I decided to. I got an additional qualification in the UK, so all my education experiences from Zambia, I did this other qualification called CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst. And it's specifically for people getting into investment management or portfolio management. And I really wanted to be on the deal side of um, private equity where we, we source, we filter, we analyze, and we do the corporate finance um, and the decision making of where to invest in something or divest from something. Nice. So having done this qualification, I didn't find the exact role I wanted. I was looking for a role in emerging markets 
because I wanted a, a connection back to Zambia. I wanted to find my way back to Zambia through the Emerging Markets Fund. But that Emerging Markets Fund already had good people in, had very low staff turnover, and it was very well paid. So there was no staff rotation that happened in that area. But someone said, listen, join this department next to them. And when things change and opening comes, we will be able to refer you in. So I joined a an area which looked at what's called investment trusts. It's, it's just a financial product, a very old British financial product. But the moment I went to that world, it was a great job, great career. But very quickly, I found myself brain dead because it was very monotonous. It was very well paying and I got really good job, but I would go to board meetings acting as the CFO of these investment funds yeah, uh, with other board members who are titans of industry, people who've made their own business, multi-million or billion and sold it. And they sat at, my, at the table and I was like, wow, I'm at the right table, but I'm in the wrong chair, which is I would love to be like that entrepreneur. I would love to be like that entrepreneur who's on the board of trustees of this investment trust. Yeah. But I'm the accountant. I'm the person who's the CFO reporting to them what's happening to their billions. I would love to be the one that's put my billions in. And and I was like, look, great perspective sitting here at this part of the table. But I'd love to be back at this table in another 15, 20 years, maybe as an advisor or trustee, not as the person that is um, counting the beans and reporting uh, to the billionaires and millionaires how their money's doing. And right. so when I got very brain numb, I was like, time to leave, time to make a career change. Wow. Rani, you've touched on, on a lot of things that a lot of us feel as immigrants, especially for my fellow Zambians as well. Even when I yeah. came, I had the imposter syndrome again. Like I had my grades, mm-hmm. but I right away was saying no to myself and saying, I'm not going to go to the university because they might not take my grades. So I had to do high school all over. I did like yeah. a high school diploma and then I got into college. And yeah. I said no to myself before anybody even said no because of where we come from thinking yeah. we're underqualified because it, we're from Zambia. It's a developing yeah. country. So I'm so grateful for you to touching on that. But there's so many people that might have the same qualifications like you had prior that have gone to Zika's yeah. and they want to probably travel and go somewhere or even apply uh, while they are home for a job. This way, they don't feel like they're underqualified. So thank you for sharing that. I love that. Yeah, I, I want to tell all Zambians listening in that sometimes growing up in an emerging economy and a place like Zambia and being a former Commonwealth, being a Commonwealth country and being a former colony, yeah. it, the context of you existing in that country is one where the media may make you believe that we are less than. Yeah. And I want to tell you that as human beings, all human beings, have equal access, equal rights, equal self-belief. They have access to their self-belief. And if you really can believe in yourself, it does not matter. It does not matter where you come from, where you go to. And one of the most common symptoms that we suffer from imposter syndrome is we're trying to add more and more letters after our name. One more degree, one more master's, one more PhD. That does not make you any more passionate and driven to be of contribution to where you can contribute to others. I think beyond qualifications on paper, if you have real heart and passion to say, I want to go into this area and make a difference, and you're clear how what you're doing is benefiting 
the end user, is benefiting a customer, is benefiting a community member. If you're passionate about uplifting human beings, improving the quality of their life, it doesn't matter what qualification you have. You'll find the role and you'll find that calling that will allow you to uplift that person's life. But what's more, while you're in the West, we're surrounded every day by big concrete jungle. You can see around you development. You can see your iPhone and your cards that can tap and get a service or touch of a button. You can receive something at your doorstep. What that means for you, you're now immersed in an environment and a community where the context of what's possible, you've now seen it, you've lived it, you've experienced it, you've gotten on that metro, you've gotten on that tube, you've um, purchased something through your phone or through your app. When you take that mindset of what you've already experienced and accepted as a tolerable standard of life, and you move back to Africa, you move back to Zambia, you're going back armed with experience and armed with exposure, right? And if you believe in yourself, give yourself a little bit of time to reacclimatize to the culture back home, understand how things work, everything that you say is missing. Don't complain and don't say the politicians have not uh, sorted it out. You are the leader to go sort it out. You go and build that concept. You go and create that Uber that's there. You go and create uh, that food uh, uh, service, home delivery service that's not there. Uh, and these things are starting, by the way, in Zambia. You go and create that franchise concept that, that's not there. You go and create that restaurant that's not there. You go and create that cleaning company or pest control company that's not there. Those opportunities are there back home. So uh, you've just dived into what I was about to ask you next. Um, How how often have you been home and what opportunities? You've mentioned a few. What opportunities do you see for us in the diaspora? Because all of us are different levels. Not everybody can do the mass migration to Zambia and go develop it at the same time, you know, put in the skills and resources that we've been able to learn outside our country. Yeah. What opportunities have you seen that people can tap into uh, from, let's say, today? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll share my journey and how I've wound up back um, and going back to the point around um, banking, right, and how I left banking. So after going to this place where I began to feel really brain dead because the job was well-paying, but it was monotonous. Yeah. I felt zero purpose in getting out of bed and delivering on my role there every day. And I did it well because I knew how to do it, but it did not challenge the brain. And some of us, when we've reached that point in the West, it's the point where you need to question, like, why was I planted here? Why am I planted on this earth? What impact am I put here to do? What difference am I going to make to humanity? You've got to go to town to ask yourself those questions. And I really encourage people going into the personal development, self-development world, self-realization world. Learn about yourself. Learn about the mind. Learn about how your identity and your character, your ego wound up the way it did. And I started to get into that personal development world. And as I got into it, um, in the last uh, six months of my job there, my wife and I, we were, I was a successful fat banker. I'm 108 kg at the time, 41 inch waist. And uh, we were nine months married. And at that point, it was my wife's birthday. Uh, we'd gone to Edinburgh to celebrate her birthday. And we found out that we were also three months pregnant at the time. So the icing on the cake was, wow, we're going to become parents. And I remember thinking, and as I was in that job, wow, my, what if it's a son? What if it's a girl? Uh, what are they going to grow up and ask me? And I was like, they're going to ask dad, what do you do for a living? And as I started to articulate and tell my yet to be born 
child, um, what I did for a living, I realized my job description did not give me pride if that was etched on my tombstone, right? Because it would say somebody that accounts for and tells other millionaires and billionaires um, how much their money is worth, right? And not that I'm generating that, not that I'm making the investments for them. So it didn't, for me, it's different for different people. For some people, that is what they want to be doing. They love their accounting or technical role. For me, that wasn't. So I first did, I found this hollowness. Next thing that happened is while we went to Edinburgh to celebrate my wife's birthday, three months into the pregnancy, we had a miscarriage. As we had that miscarriage, yeah, it was, it was a crushing moment for my wife, losing a baby. All our emotion, thought, mindset, our hope was kind of in that pregnancy thinking, hey, we're going to have a beautiful baby. And then in the moment when it happens, you never prepared for such. Um, I started to get stressed about it. She was getting stressed about it. I'm trying to console her. And it turned into this heated debate and I started to get these heart palpitations. And we're in Edinburgh. We have no friends or family around. We're in a small box, box room, uh, hotel room. And the next day on our way back, I ended up in hospital. And I ended up in hospital and I'm going through these blood tests and ECG tests and heart tests. And uh, in that moment, I am, uh, you know, really looking at my life thinking, wow, like I work for JP Morgan, I have a title called vice president, I have a six figure salary. I uh, have X amount of assets, but all that means nothing right now if I don't have my well-being. And my wife is sat on the chair next to me and I'm saying to her, can you please just go home, go to sleep in a proper bed and come back tomorrow. And she just snaps at me. She goes, there's no way I'm waking up tomorrow having lost another one. And the penny dropped in that moment. It was the first time I got, wow, we go through life thinking, don't tell me what to do. I got myself sorted. I know when I eat. I know where I live. I know I eat. I know how I sleep. I can sort myself out. Most of us are so selfish about taking care of ourselves. But that was the first time I heard it from another human being that that human being wakes up tomorrow banking on my fitness. She banks on me waking up and being around tomorrow to really contribute to her life, to our future. And it was the first time it really hit me in that sense. And I thought, wow, we might have lost the baby, but this is the birth of my interest in uh, nutrition, in exercise, in mindset, in habit forming, uh, in uh, understanding the context and the role of your career and well-being, your relationships and well-being. What role do all those other pillars play? And it was the birth of Fit Banker, which is our business. So Fit Banker really means anyone that gets that they have to bank on their fitness because other people do too. It's also a play on me being a fat banker, going to Fit Banker. Uh, I took on my health. I went to town with nutrition. I really transformed my nutrition first, then exercise. And then I lost 70 pounds in a window of seven months. So that's about 32, 33 kg in a, in a seven month window. I got a six pack in my mid thirties. And I was like, where was this in my twenties when I needed it? And uh, when I was single, uh, but suddenly I'm getting to the peak of my state physically, emotionally, mentally, aesthetically, if you want to say so as well. Uh, and I'm loving it. I'm like, how on earth did this happen? Like, why did nobody tell me the formula to transform your health and get into peak state? And I did a post on Facebook. I said, hey, guys, who'd like to be mentored by me for the next 90 days? But, but I did this sharing my journey very publicly on Facebook and sharing it on social media. So people would reach out to me. Hey, what did you do? How did you train? Can I eat this? Can I eat that? And I would tell them, but they would not implement it. So I said, we need to bring the implementation structure. So we launched an implementation and coaching program for 90 days. 
where people sign up and weekly I check in on them. We run webinars and we give them updates on what to do. And now we've been running seven and a half years. We've had close to a thousand people globally dig, take on this big investment of 90 days in themselves, nice. transform their health. People have lost weight, reversed uh, lifestyle diseases like diabetes, high BP, cholesterol, reduce the symptoms or reverse the symptoms of those. Uh, they have experienced peak energy, peak strength, and peak confidence. Um, in the process, I've been ta- I've started a leadership program, Mount Kilimanjaro, where every year we fly out and take people there to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. We run a leadership program, a nine-day program on the ground and on the mountain. Um, and uh, I've, I'm the only Zambian to summit Mount Kilimanjaro eight times. And coming August, August, August 2023, we're going for summit number nine. nine. Um, but that's what we get to do now. And when I started to do that and the business started to grow the first four years, I want to tell everybody here that's looking at what to get into. People want to see success in three months. Man, we were, I came from, I'm telling you now, talking about money, talking about the financial setbacks growing up in Zambia. But that gave us resilience. We went through four years and I got to broke. And I got to broke, which is my money went into my business and it was just burning away. Mm. And that money was not even good money making more money. It was not building assets to sustain us. Yeah. It was completely dissipated. And in 2019, after a great, um, you know, uh, what was it, 12, 13 years in finance, everything was gone. Everything materially was gone. I don't have a house, don't have a car. Uh, I don't own any of those assets. And in 2019, we had reached, we had reached broke, right? And I'm saying to you, as a Zambian out there listening out there, in that journey, in that period, many people don't know this. There was a process where I was behind on certain rental or tax payments and a bailiff is coming and knocking at my door, right? This form, former vice president of JP Morgan. So I want people to know that we went down to ground zero again. We went to ground zero again. Most people do not know this. I'm only sharing this because I'm really committed to the Zambian diaspora. And even in that moment, we were able to turn it around. In 2019, we were flatlining as a business. We were completely in the red, which which is we're loss making. We're not drawing a salary. We go to the U.S. and we're looking at moving to the U.S. We just about managed to pay for our flights to go to the U.S. We couldn't pay for the flights and our rent. So we put all our, we packed up our lease gave in the house, put our stuff in storage for a whole month, went to the US, and we came back thinking we'll have to start again and figure it all out. And as we came back, starting again, figuring it all out, moved into this quick, small place that was meant to be a temporary home, we ended up getting pregnant again with number two. So we, we had baby number one after our miscarriage three years later in 2017, a mm. uh, beautiful boy called Kanea, nice. and then... During lockdown 2019, we got pregnant again. 2020, during lockdown, um, we had a baby. By the way, which I delivered at home because uh, the hospitals were closed. Wow. We, we, we didn't get to go there in time and the Uber was waiting outside and my, my wife's water broke. So in lockdown to, you know, the world lockdown, March 2020, May 2020, my baby's yeah. born at home. And uh, I'm learning on a phone with emergency services and a midwife telling me how to deliver this baby. Um, and so that's how we have baby number two. So you can add midwife to my title as well. Yes, by the way. midwife. <laughs> Mid-husband. <laughs> so, so anyway, lo- lockdown, which I want everyone to know, is your blessing. So we're in the peak of this pandemic. We're in a small 
it, it was it was marketed as a two bedroom house. It was really a, a one bedroom house with a small study or toy room, and so it's a very crampy place in the UK. Um, you know, the summer is over. We're getting close to it's autumn, going into winter, mm. and uh, we have two kids in the house. We have a three-year-old and a five- or six-month-old kid. And we're running an online business. My wife is on maternity leave. She works for a, a, another company, a charity. And uh, and she's on maternity leave, planning to go back to work in January uh, or, or the following May. Um, and uh, you couldn't visit people. People can't visit you because of lockdown. It was it was physically constraining. It was emotionally and mentally depressing. Yeah. Uh, I likely was in some state of depression. Uh, I think my wife was, but would never probably uh, acknowledge that. But it was very stressful, for, for lack of a better word. Again, you know, post-delivery, you're going through a lot of hormonal changes. But I would see her stressing, running her webinars and the business online, helping me with my business while she's on leave. She was helping me with my business. And uh, we have two kids. And we thought we're two people working on a business. We're actually not because when she's running on the working on the laptop and working on a webinar, I am uh, I am holding the two kids behind the door and the toddlers. They're trying to bang the door and get to mommy, and I'm trying to keep them calm while she's live on a webinar with clients. Yeah. And then when she's done, she's with the kids, and I'm on a webinar. So we're actually not two people working on a business. We're two half people working on a business. Right. So we could only give half of ourselves at a time because the other half was being parent. And it was so frustrating. I reached a point where I saw my wife having this burnout after one night. And I just said, Ambika, you're getting on the next flight to Zambia. Just take the kids, go out there. We've got grandparents there. We've got domestic help there. We've got larger rooms. We've got Wi-Fi there now. Zambia was improving. The power cuts had stopped. Elections were coming up power was restored there were not as many power cuts wi-fi was getting better in zambia and it's an online business i said we do not need to be in this uh, brick building when we can run it from home and go out there first for a bit so we did we booked a six-week trip to go home she went out first i was going later for kilimanjaro that night that end of year and so i went a few weeks later uh, and as we went out there the first thing is beautiful weather beautiful people lovely families home so much help that we have around the kids. We are grateful for uh, life there and that in the West we speak, we complain when the politicians have three or four or five percent unemployment. You know, countries like Zambia and Africa have 50, 60, 70 percent yeah. unemployment, only 30 percent or 20 percent in the formal sector. And so you have an opportunity to make a difference to other people when you get domestic help, when you can get a nanny and you can afford to pay them something which is a lot less than we spend in the West, right? But it's also a very good salary compared to the minimum wage there. You could give somebody a much better than minimum wage when you go back home and make a difference to another human being and their whole family, right? And it is affordable. And with an online business that we're running, it's a digital product and service we're selling internationally. We don't need to be bound by any geography to any land. You can go back home where there is great power, great infrastructure you have access to the world and uh, i think media and media companies and tech companies you know the it space is a great place for us to 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 innovate and, and take zambia but the world forward as well with whatever we're creating if it's a global product and after we went there zambia was put on red list 
And I was like, you know what? The universe is giving us signs. We're kind of locked in a country which you cannot fly out of there yeah. back to the UK. And so we're paying for rent in the UK. We got extended our stay in, in Zambia. And I was like, we're so loving the life here. We put the kids in school. And I'm like, baby, why are we going back home? There's nothing to go to the UK for. We don't need to physically be there. We can run this business online and remotely from Zambia. And so, you know, we kind of put our stake in the ground, got a new place there, moved out of mom and dad's, got our own apartment. We're renting it there um, and got the kids in school, got a dog, which you can afford to take care of and feed nicely in Zambia. Uh, a lot, a lot more affordable than it is in the West. Yeah, and uh, and that's now home. So we've got two kids, uh, you know, one in one in uh, kindergarten, and the other one is going to grade one tomorrow. So there we are. Wow. Um, where are you guys in Zambia? We're in Kitwe. So we're back in Kitwe. Uh, the business is online and uh, it exists globally. But even while I'm in Kitwe, I see so many opportunities so many opportunities for people to come back and take on. And we have a new government. We have the amazing Hakainde Chilema and his leadership and what he's done in a year is amazing. It is really being commended uh, and acknowledged uh, and seen by the West. Uh, we are seeing a host of things happening. When we reached there, the pound was 33 kwacha to one pound. It went up to 36 kwacha, went up to 37, it was going to 39. And after it looked in the six weeks before the elections, when it looked like the um, you know opposition may win, the currency immediately began to strengthen. And uh, today it is at about 14, 15 kwacha to a dollar, 16 kwacha to a pound, right? So we're saying that that, that currency has strengthened yeah. Uh, by more than 100%. It's halved what, we're, what we were getting. For me, holding on to pound, uh, it, it's less kwacha I get, you know, compared to when I arrived there, I could take a whole bunch of people out for a meal and I pay for the drinks because it was a few yeah. pounds and and uh, the former government tanked the currency. Uh, but the new government have made amazing changes and I hope that the leadership keep well, stay strong, you know, continue this fight against corruption make the country a safe democracy because it was turning into a tyranny. And I don't know if you had been back close to the election period. I don't know if you've been back. No, to I, I haven't been. I'm looking forward to coming to bring my kids because my kids haven't met my mom yet. So I'm looking oh. forward to coming um, to bring my kids. I haven't been. Be sure to bring them and be sure to come to Kitwe. Of course, I'm coming to you guys. I'm coming to Absolutely. Visit. I need to come and meet your wife. Cause Absolutely, you should. <laughs> She's an amazing woman. I got, I got to meet her. Um, yeah, definitely. So a lot of us in the diaspora yeah. are scared to come home because we don't know on... Because um, not everybody wants to get into business. Yeah. For instance, for me, I'm a yeah. financial... Um, I, I'm a manager. I'm a branch manager at a bank here. Mm-hmm. So I would like to transition in the same position. This is something I know. This is my world. I've been in it for a very long time. I want to come back. If I decided to come back, I want to go in the same thing. But there's no jobs available. There's so many people who are in different career paths. But those jobs are not going to be... We're going to add value. Like for me, what I know about banking, the American side of banking can add yeah. value to what the Zambian banking 
is like. Massively, massively. And the thing is, I don't know if there's any open positions. And I feel horrible, speaking for the diaspora, I feel horrible to take jobs away from people that have been, let's say, to Zika's, that have been to the, to university uh, yeah. in Zambia. And just me coming just because I have my titles yeah. of being in the U.S. And I do have experience. Yeah. But it will feel bad taking those jobs away from people. There's so many people yeah. that don't have jobs. Um, I don't know if the president is saying, because I'm not on the ground. I don't know what the yeah. president is saying about unemployment. Because yeah. I went to a large school, Refugee Institute. There's so many people that went to that school. And I meet them now on Facebook. And a lot of them mm-hmm. don't have jobs. Okay. Some okay, do, cool. but well, a, a lot of those don't have jobs. Like, what are we doing about those things? And how can people come home and not feel like they're taking over other people's jobs? Okay, cool. So first thing I'll tell you is, um, what is your passion? Tell me what your passion is. If you could wake up tomorrow doing something you love and money didn't matter, what is it you would do? This right here. This right Podcasting. Podcasting is really just like the method of how I deliver the message. It's motivating people, inspiring people, and having people know what's happening with our lives and what has inspired us and what has transpired in our lives as immigrants. This is my passion right here. Okay, cool. So that's the first thing I would want to tell you. And somebody like you who has made that transition is doing that. His name is Aaron Mashano. He started this thing called Tribe Academy. Yeah. Uh, look him up. Look him up in Zambia. Now, he also went and worked in law firms in uh, Australia, and he made this big leap back. But if, if this is what you're truly passionate about, I'm big on encouraging people, inspiring people, motivating people to take that leap in pursuing their passion and, and starting and pursuing a passion-based or mission-driven organization. So you might not want to lead this organization or start the organization, but you can be part of an existing organization that's doing what you think is your passion or you think is your side hobby or you think is your side project. I want you to consider it has potential to be a full-blown business back home. If this is what you like, if you like doing this and creating content that's digital, that can uplift the lives of the listeners, yeah. For what they listen to. You could be a radio host, you could be a radio DJ, you could be uh, a podcast host, you could be on media, you could be on TV. You could, and there's big funding going into this right now, start your own Netflix show in Africa for Africans by Africans. Right now, these subscription-based media programs are going big in Africa because digital content is being consumed on the continent. They are looking for people that can create great content. If you're good at creating good digital content and you're getting good viewership and you believe you're good and you're solving a problem for people and your feedback is positive, like you don't want to rely on your own feedback. You want to rely on the feedback of your subscribers. Oh, for sure. If it's good, you have great potential there. Now, you can go back and you can definitely explore a network in, in banking. I can tell you, you can. But it's not your job to feel good or feel bad about taking their jobs because you're not really taking their jobs. In a meritocratic world, right, if you do well in your career, you will grow up. In any growing economy, those industries or companies have to grow. If the average bank, commercial bank in Zambia right now has uh, 500 employees across Zambia, the growth expected over the next 10 years, they should be at 2,000 employees in 10 years. If they're going to be at 2,000 employees in 10 years, 
and you have leadership skills, you'll be part of that growth journey. Just like I joined a division in JP Morgan and grew it from employee number three or four to 45 in four years. If I did that in the West and that industry and sector grew, you can go and create there. There are multiple other products, things like credit, debit card, mobile payments, yeah. um, uh, ATM options that are not yet saturated in Zambia. And you having that experience or exposure or insight as to, I've seen this work, guys, could be on the strategy team. You might not even be the person that's building all that out. You could just be on the strategy team of the bank that's advising. Uh, you you won't, it's not your job to feel good or bad of somebody. If they're good, they're going to hold on to their job. You aren't going to be one in, one out. That's a growing population. It's a growing economy. There's space for everyone if you have the abundance mindset. But you can either go, when we're stuck in a career like finance, when I left banking, the only option I saw was another accounting firm. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything else outside what I've been so conditioned to see every day. And I'm saying to you, if you're in banking, you go back to Zambia, the only thing you will see is banking. But I'm saying to you, you could go and get a contract for laying out and rolling out a bunch of building a contract for streetlights in a particular town. You could do the garbage collection services because you've experienced the council service there serving you. Right? You've experienced good Wi-Fi and you could be a Wi-Fi provider or an ICT provider. This is product and service you've consumed, but you have the communication skills to speak to people, to develop leaders, to hold them accountable, to project manage, to have them complete tasks on time because you've worked in a system and an economy where they honor their word to deliver something by a certain time. And when you go there and you start there, we have somebody who's joined my company. And this somebody, when we were children, we had a maid, a lovely maid who was with us. The mm. son goes to uh, school there and and his likelihood would probably be to step into what his parents did. Yeah. He's now joined our company and he works with our systems. He works on IT. He's just finished grade 12. He didn't get great grades, but he is doing our Google Sheets. He is operating our software. Mm. He is doing system updates. He joins our strategy meetings. His career trajectory is very unique and different to maybe even his siblings might be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I'm getting to alter the, we as an organization, not I, but yeah, our clients that, yeah. that, that support our business are having this person transform his livelihood. And I'm saying to you, when you have to go home, people are looking for the right move or the safe haven or a backup plan. And I'm saying in Zambia, like we do off the knife edge bridge, when we do bungee, you just jump. All right. You just jump. Okay. So, so don't think, let me build a safe haven here. Let me first get a house. Let me put my mortgage. That mortgage you're paying for bricks is going to give you mental security thinking I've got a plan B to go back. I'm saying if you that's have a plan what, B. That's what they're doing now. Like people yeah, are I'm saying go home without home. a plan B. Take your cash. <laughs> Take your cash, go back home, start off with $10,000. You have so many things you can start off. If you can save up $10,000, you go back there, start off staying with family like I did, right? And slowly build your way up. There is a lot of opportunity there. And people in the West, we go back home and we keep saying, this country is not changing. We keep saying the leaders are not doing enough. It's because we, the brain boxes, the hard workers, the make things happen, the linchpins, the people that had the audacity to leave the comfort of our home, went to the West and we're building those economies. 
It's about time we go back and build ours. It's about time we make Zambia and Africa the place where people say, wow, look at the African lifestyle. I'd love to live the African dream. Because most people here watch a lot of Hollywood movies and they think that's the life you're living in the USA. You know, you, you're, yeah. you're very much hand to mouth. Many people are very much hand to mouth yeah. and they will watch a lot of celebrities, but you're not living the Jay-Z and Beyonce lifestyle if you're not. Mm-hmm. But if you go back home, if you go back home, you can have a phenomenal lifestyle with a lovely home, lovely neighbors, lovely yard, uh, and a pet dog, and you'll have amazing quality of life. And I'm saying to you guys, leap from the comfort that is sucking you in in the West and go out to your home countries and build those economies. Create the future you want to see them step into. You are the leaders. Well said, well said. <laughs> I mean, I do have other follow-up questions because I know my community and I do ask, especially the U.S. community, even the mm-hmm. U.K. community, because they do, some of them that actually got to know me now, they reach out personally to me and ask questions about the guests. What did they think about this and all of that? So, I mean, I encourage for anybody who's listening, please reach out to Rani directly. And I have all please, his, please. his contacts uh, in the show notes. Yeah, we can ask all the questions. He's on the ground in Zed and he can let us know what opportunities, what areas. But I've had a different episode before that I did of homecoming. Yeah. Homecoming is different for everybody. And mm-hmm. there's some that struggle that, that struggled like my sister I'll, I'll tell you yeah. um she went to london and studied there for five years she did accounting yeah. Yeah. i encouraged her selfishly i wanted an excuse to go to london so i yeah. encouraged her to stay she didn't want to she's a mommy's baby she said i can't stay away from my mom i already stayed away five years she's home she did accounting mm-hmm. now uh, when looking for for employment, she had a, a, a hard time finding jobs. She finally got something into auditing. She was doing audit, but then she just realized it was not for her. Yeah, she's into farming now. She does farming. She okay. does phenomenal uh, with farming. But the thing is, she loves it, but it's not for everybody. Like for yeah. me, if I went back home, I don't even know what area that's why the only thing that i know is this now and yeah my banking so what i'm trying to say uh, to say i guess is so many people are in different levels they probably don't even have the ten thousand dollars to start over taking a leap is a great idea it's nice but not everybody yeah. can actually take that leap because i understand that it's on we need money to come home whether you have family or not, or not, we need money somehow to start something. So I yeah. don't know what areas exactly or what our president is saying for the diaspora. What is the president saying about the people coming back home? Does he say anything in those lines because we're not there? Well, he's, uh, he's going to have a gala dinner. Uh, later this month in New York. I hope you've got tickets for that. Have you seen that? $500. I can't afford. 
Oh, we got we got to find a way for you to make it happen. I would love uh, to go. But- I really would. My sister sent me the the thing, and uh, one of my uh, great listeners actually sent it to me. He's like, "Are you going? Are you going to interview him?" I'm like, "I'd love to interview him. I'd love to sit down with him just to find out what he is thinking about us." In the diaspora, yeah. we want to come home. We want to contribute. We want to bring our skills, our resources. But what is he thinking about us? Five hundred dollars, feed kids, or go see the president? <laughs> That's All what right, I'm cool. saying. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get your ticket to that event. Okay. No. So yeah. You go to that event. Yeah, I'll get your ticket. Let me let me get hold of the organizers, and we get your ticket. And you go there on one condition: you have to find a way to ask him a, a question. That's yes, all. I need you to get to close to way. him. No, you you're going to raise your hand when there's going to be Q&A and you have to ask him just you have to do what it takes to find a way to ask a question and ask your questions that you want to ask or or anything else related to I got to... you. I got you. All right. Okay. You. So you, you, you just got to make I'll, it happen. I'll, I'll even ask my group chat and ask them what questions yeah. they have and we'll ask them because people want to know and we let's get hold of the organizers let me get that link let's see if they'll give us any best deal otherwise we'll get you uh, whatever ticket is available so that's that's first thing okay second thing what is the president doing I really want you to tell you his his campaign was Bali will fix it the real the real slogan the real uh, campaign slogan was Bali will fix the real slogan and tagline is Bali and I will fix it so we have to come home with that mindset. He's creating the environment that's optimal for us to make a difference. He's creating an environment that is uh, conducive for us to start something and not be at the effect of corruption or uh, uh, jarabos or some other bullies out there in the system, right? Uh, he's doing a lot to do that from reducing, you know, the, the way... The, the traffic police are a constant stress on you when you're just driving around town uh, and they're, they're, they're trying to stop you and fine you for something mm. uh, or to um, getting stuff done in councils, getting stuff done with uh, local mines. A few things that are going to happen is the two big mines in the Copper Belt are going to soon have international investors. That is soon going to be confirmed and finalized. There will be a spike in employment there. Right there, you're not going to land the job while you're in the U.S. If I'm an HR person in Zambia yeah. and I, I hear you applying from the U.K. versus somebody in Zambia I could give an opportunity to, I'm going to go for the person that, that can show up on Monday morning, right? Because I don't know whether you can actually let go of what you've got going on there. You might be making $2,000, $3,000 a month to show up for a job there which might give you $1,200 a month or $1,000 a month or $500 a month in Zambia. And you might think that's not enough. But I'm saying to you $500 a month in Zambia might give you a much better quality of life and more opportunity to save than a $2,000 job in the West, as an example, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Secondly is is, uh, remotely, we can't see the opportunities of what they will do for us if we're not there in the right place in the right moment to receive that opportunity. So he's big on creating cooperatives and these cooperatives are where you would come together with other members, form a cooperative, create a constitution with this cooperative and then that cooperative allows you to partner with an international investor or a local investor that has the capital to say go and start 
a particular mining license or go and start a mine supply company or go into agriculture. And it's very big on promoting agriculture. We have the potential. IT companies, tech companies. You don't have to be an IT person. Like I'm not an IT person, yeah. but I'm running a digital product or service. You could run a program where you could train people to start their digital podcast, right? Because you've got the experience. You understand the mm -hmm. systems. You understand the recording. You understand the few gadgets. You don't need a lot of capital for that, yeah. right? I'm saying to my business, this business kind of started without any money going into it because yeah. I put a link for people to book tickets to be coached by me for the next 90 days. So they first signed up before I even paid the guy that did our website. You know, I got revenue in before I put any money in. I yeah. got revenue out of this business and we've grown it since, right? Uh, I take people up Mount Kilimanjaro. They're paying me for a service where I have to show up. I Believe you me, you can be in Zambia, you can run a hiking groups or walking groups or trekking companies and take people around to get into healthy uh, habits and activities back yeah. home. Mm. Um, you can, there, there are a few things where bank interest rates are being pressured to come down because we've strengthened our currency so much and the commercial rates are now coming down of at what you can borrow, right? So that as an opportunity is there. But we can't see what we can't see when we're geographically far away. And when you're on the ground, your net work is your net worth. Yeah. We'll say that again. Your network is your net worth. You know in Zambia that we know someone who knows someone who knows someone in that company, yeah. in that bank, in that mine, uh, who can give us that, assist us with that issue in council and can do so in a manner where they do it uh, legally, where they do it fairly, and they're doing it because they see you're a good provider, you're a good supplier, you're a well-intended um, consultant or contractor or uh, employee of another organization. So if you want to find a job somewhere there, you have to just have that internal willingness, right? And you will know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So that's my uh, that's my invite to you is to um, is to really and to anybody else that's listening in. You might come home with nothing in terms of material wealth, but if you have network, your network is your net worth, right? And if people are in the US and they've been waiting for their green card or they've got their passport now, if you think that's your insurance policy, good, you got your insurance policy. Leave, go home, get the real green card, which is the Zambian passport, you know, and, and, and make it happen back home. Because for the next 10 years, we have a unique opportunity under a very new leadership that's yeah. getting a lot of international support specifically from the West and from the likes of China and India to boost that economy. We are, we are going to go through a boom while the rest of the West, I can tell you now, over the next four or five years is going into a recession. And we are going to boom. We're going to boom because we have a very conducive environment for that. We have new leadership. And if we're willing to grow internally first as a country, there isn't much stopping us where we where we can create that product or service to serve our fellow local countrymen and women. So my invitation to anybody that's thinking is come out. The one thing I would say not to do, I don't think it works too well in Zambia, don't start sending $2,000 a month to your Bururu back home to buy that piece of land or that plot. Don't do that. You come with the cash yourself and do it unless it's your father, unless it's your mother who is buying that plot of land and they're doing it for you and they've got good due diligence. So you've gone through some professional service to get the due diligence. 
Otherwise, you'll come home thinking you own a farm or a piece of land just to find nothing. Your, your friend's driving a nice, nice Beamer or a Mercedes, which is depreciating in value. So, so don't do that. You come, you build, you find network. Uh, for the first six months, you might not have something. And you might say, that bloody Ronnie guy, I heard him on this podcast and I packed <laughs> up today when I heard that thing and left. And look at him, I'm broke. Well, I want you all to know I also went to broke. And after broke, you can't go any lower. What can only happen is you turn around. And uh, when the going gets tough, that's when the Zambian toughness in you is going to get you going harder. And, uh, and, and, and you can make it. And that's what I want people to believe in their dream and uplifting that country. No, oh, I love that. I, I, well said. I, um, I mean, if anyone is not sold, I just don't know. I am sold. Um, I just got to <laughs> pack up. and <laughs> Pack up. Pack up. Ten years from now, you're going to thank me. Yeah. And your, your daughters will have an amazing quality of life. Yeah. And no, they have no. a greater statistically, they have a greater statistical chance of making it on a Zambia Olympic sports team in Zambia than they do in the U.S. Yeah. No, it, it, it's um really good. Really good stuff. Um, so, so much. Um, I can't wait to meet the president just so I can hear also from him because we have been waiting to hear from him as well. I even wanted to reach out. I reached out to the ambassador here because, I mean, they hear directly from him as well. Um, but hearing from him will be more uh, also impactful. But definitely sharing your challenges and your triumphs has been he's, Going to be very helpful to a lot of people because you don't necessarily yeah. have to have millions of money because that's the perspective of what it is for us it's like okay yeah. i need to have this much money in order for me to go back home to live comfortable to live the life that i'm used to so yeah. to, uh, starting over is it's not new i'm sure to all of us that are immigrants so i yeah. guess starting over in your own country is just a little bit you know challenging because you know so many people they come you come home it's just like okay what did you come with now <laughs> yeah no we we have to we have to be a bit more um akaso around that culture Kaja. we have to be uh, a bit more i can't more... believe you speak all of these languages <laughs> no we, have, we we definitely have to be a lot more akaso with our hard earned sweat and money yeah we we you know in the bible it tells us to give culturally there's a very big giving culture in zambia but you have to use the oxygen mask approach when you go back home which is first put on your oxygen mask before you try to put on for another yeah so so you have to really hold on uh, to your assets till you've allowed your uh, your money to make money for you However small you go with, if it if it dissipates, if it disappears, we can start afresh. Yeah. But uh, don't expect to have a theoretical plan in the West. Come on the ground and and implement it. Won't work that way. Yeah. Uh, you have to really have your ear to the ground. You have to be connected to the people. You have to understand when you call a plumber or get something sorted at home, it doesn't happen as seamlessly as it is in the West. And you're going to have to reacclimatize. It's a new altitude. Get used to back home. Practice gratitude for being back home and how much that country has given you and provided you. Yeah. Uh, don't get fed up too quick. Uh, and patiently we build. Patiently we're going to build and create an amazing uh, new Z. 
How do um, I'm taking a, a, a page of one of my girlfriend's book. She wants to start doing five months in the U.S., five months in um, New York, five months in California, and then two months in Ghana. She's married to a Ghanaian uh, brother yeah. of ours. But um, I want to do five months in Zambia, five months here, and then two months in SA. It feels like home for me in South Africa for some reason. Uh, but, all right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, How does a person prepare to climb the Mount Kilimanjaro? I want to do that one day, maybe. Sure. So Kilimanjaro, what we do is not just a climb, it's a leadership program. It's an 11-day program, nine full days of which are on the ground, and then there's your arrival and your departure day, which makes it 11 calendar days. Uh, but basically, I went there first in 2014. I went there for somebody who was doing a project for a particular charity. Mm-hmm. And um, he asked me to help him with the marketing. And after I started helping with the marketing, he says, oh, by the way, you're one of the people climbing. And I was like, oh, am I? And uh, I suddenly, I was 103 kg at the time. I was a big guy. I didn't know what a mountain was. I didn't know how tall Mount Kilimanjaro was. I didn't know what kind of preparation or training you need and how long it will take in my mind. I thought... I'll take 15 years to train, and when I'm 50, I'll go for it. Um, but actually, I, uh, within you know, nine months after saying yes to this guy, I'm on the mountain. And I'm on this mountain, and uh, when I was coming down, there was a part of the mountain I come down, and you look out, and you see this pathway of rocks going into the cloud, and the porters are carrying a heavy load on the head, and they're overtaking you, and they're taking all your tents and luggage and the campsite stuff to the next uh, camp. And you see these people walking into the clouds and they disappear, they disappear, they disappear. And I was like, wow, this is like the highway to heaven, except that you don't have to die to get there. And I was like, such a beautiful sight. And I got emotional, I got teary-eyed. And the first person I could think of was my dad. And I was like, I would love my dad to see this. And, uh, you know, what, what good deed have I done? What karma do I have that I get to experience this on the mountain? Yeah. And I was like, I need to find somebody that can take my dad and has the safety, the comfort, the luxury that somebody at his age can enjoy. And I started to look around and I didn't find any provider that did a sort of program that he could go on. And then after the, the first summit, we found a lot of people. I had a boost in my confidence. I then took on my health and I lost 70 pounds. Other people got into relationships. Other people got a new job. Mm-hmm. And when this mountain, when you can conquer this mountain, what you don't conquer is not the mountain, you conquer yourself. And so you transform and you conquer your limiting views and belief of yourself. And you start to have this new profound confidence of you. You're like, wow, if I'm on the list of people globally in the world that have summited the roof of Africa, if I can do that, surely I can do anything. If I can do that and I didn't die or get stretched off, surely I can do anything. And you come back with this new belief in you. So the transformation on the mountain is you discover a part of you, what comes out of you after you've reached your physical boundary, your mental boundary, your emotional boundary. There is this new Nancy that finally gets to summit. And you're like, where did that energy come from? Where did that belief come from? Where did that confidence come from? And to me, Kilimanjaro has given me so much in life. And so what I said is we're going to do our own leadership program there because we couldn't find somebody that was doing this. And 2017, we announced our first one. We had 11 people commit. And I made a personal commitment to take 100 people to summit. So I'm I'm still on that goal. We're at about 70 lives so far. And last year, I got to take my dad uh, on, on on my seventh summit which we dedicated to HH. I took a flag to the top, which says HH7. I don't know if you've seen yes. that photo. Yes, on, I've on seen the picture. I've seen the picture. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he noticed it, HH, and he commented, and he says, congratulations. And I, I just like you going for this gala dinner, I met him at a gala dinner in Dola. Uh, and he got to thank me and acknowledge me and, and congratulate me, which was amazing and humbling. Uh, but we can... I took my dad up Mount Kilimanjaro. He didn't get to the summit, but he went, you know, 3,720 meters up, which is pretty high up the mountain uh, for a 76-year-old man. He's probably the oldest Zambian to attempt it. Wow. Uh, he didn't summit. Maybe he will accept my invite to come again at some point. But but on the last attempt, he didn't summit. And uh, But that was a vision I had in 2014. And we now create the program. So when I say, when you find a problem, and all Zambians go back home, when you find a problem, find the solution and be the solution. Yeah. Be the change you want to see. So I couldn't find a provider that was doing a leadership program on Mount Kilimanjaro with certain comforts and luxury, like good tents, good sleeping bags, hot showers that we carry up the mountain, portable toilets, good food. Wait, there's a hot shower? We, we carry hot showers. Others don't. All right? Very few people do. So that's one of the unique things about our program. It's, it's got a little bit of luxury to ease the discomfort of the, the terrain, allow people to recover well each night so that they're fresh and new the, the next day. And so that's a big thing that we do on the mountain. Uh, in Zambia, also, I think adventure is not big. It's almost non-existent. Many people don't do it. And right now, the majority of people that do it are what I would call the kind of expat community. They have that kind of additional spending capacity to do long bike rides or marathons or triathlons. And yeah. I want to, I want to, so when you speak to HH at that gala, ask him, this guy called Ronnie Rich, can you make him minister of adventure and leadership so that he can transform the country? You got it. Boost <laughs> adventure and tourism back there. And uh, if we can do that, like we can start a whole new industry that doesn't exist. Yeah. They could be trekking companies, they could be trekking routes, we could start tour guides, we could start training porters, we have uh, the Muchinga escarpments, we have Lower Zambezi, we have so many things we can do there yeah. that are untapped, right? You go on tourism in the US, we go and see Yellowstone National Park, or I don't know what else you've gone to do there. Yeah, Those are phenomenal tourist attractions. We've got a clean slate country. There are so much conser conservation areas that are untapped. There is beauty. There is Batoka Gorge. There is Livingston. There is so much. Uh, yeah. You tell me what else is, is there in... Uh, is it Mongu? Where, where are you from? Uh, Mongu, but I left when I was in Lusaka. Yeah. Mongu. But, we, but you we, tell we me what's Mongu. Are the, are the plains there? We have the plains. Uh, rainy season. You can just go in the plains and, you know. Um, you, you could I don't start know a, a tour company there. We could take people to see the beauty there. Yeah. Right? Well, age age ceremony. is big on showing the beauty yeah. of Zambia. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, wow. No, but so it takes about 11 days to, to climb or altogether going up and down. No, seven days, days on the mountain, but the program is 11 days because the leadership program, we will do some mindset work with you. We will look at your past life. We will do, uh, meaning your, the early years of your life. We will look at your hardships in life. We will look at your successes in life. We do a life mapping exercise and we use the mountain as an analogy. You're not covering the, you're not conquering the mountain. You're overcoming a mountain in your own life. So yeah. what I will ask you is Nancy, before you sign up, what's one area What's one area of your life you want to cause an epic transformation? Or you've tried to transform it, but you're always faced with a hurdle. It could be your financial status. It could be your career. Yeah. It could be your relationship status. So people come on transforming and working on all these areas. And they cause an amazing epic transformation because we can draw parallels 
with the mountain. On the mountain, it will teach you when there's a storm, you can't quit because you can't quit and sit there in the storm. You've got to learn how to walk through the storm. We've got to get to the next campsite if you want to be safe and sheltered, mm-hmm. right? But in life, when, when the going gets tough, we break down and we quit our job and we quit our relationship and we, we quit our startup that has this beautiful yeah. vision. The mountain will teach you how to carry on through the storm. And that's what I want you to experience if you get clear. This is the area I want to transform. Anyone listening, you tell me the area you want to transform. And I am a life transformation coach. We have caused phenomenal transformations. And I'm humbled by the training I've received in my life. Um, And we've transformed people's marriages. We've transformed people's self-confidence. We've transformed people's education status. We've transformed people's financial wealth. People have signed up only being able to afford the deposit. And then... They've taken on, they've expanded themselves to find additional revenue streams between their sign-up date of the deposit and the actual date to reach the base of the mountain. They've generated additional revenue, yeah. right? That's something that you can do. I, I assure you, in 12 months from now, there are more revenue streams and options that you can find that you can exponentially grow in. But you have to believe you can do it, first of all. You have to believe that it's transformable. Wow, I can talk to you forever. <laughs> I, I, I love this. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. No, and, I, uh, I, I love this. I was very inspired when I when I saw, first of all, the flag is what I saw, actually. I'm just like, wait, I'm, you're from Zambia. Oh, my God. And then I read your story. I was like, wow, this is really inspirational. I need him to come and inspire the community, pour into the community. And you've definitely poured into the community. I know you want us to come back home, but there's some dreamers out there that want to experience what you experienced outside the country. What advice would you give them having experienced what you've experienced? Yeah, look, I've had a great time in the UK and I I truly believe that part of well-being is identifying the environment and the zone inside of which we thrive. And it's different for different people. Some of you might thrive better in a career. You might be a creative person, but if you're an analytical job like I was, you will feel stuck. You will face a little bit of frustration and a little bit of resentment daily to make product or result in that area. But if you're analytical minded in an analytical role, you will ace it. If you're creative in a creative role, you will ace it. Equally, your environment, your community, they dictate the quality and consistency of your habits. So on our program, we coach you on your environment, your community, and your habits. I find when I go back home, and many of you Zambians will experience this, when you get go back home, there's a certain receptiveness when you come home where you feel, ah, these are my people. Yeah. Right? These are my people. They receive you with such power and you feel there's a different way they perceive you and listen to you. And if you experience that in Zambia, then it's time to return home. It's time to know that you can make more of an impact there because there is a better and bigger listening of you. If you're in the West and you want to experience that in the West and you have and you can command that listening or that transformation or that impact to the people, then by all means, stay there. But you should know. You should know very well and you should know very clearly that you are contributing to that GDP. You're contributing to that economy. Completely nothing wrong because they give you great education, medical services and whatever else you depend on them for, right? And so there's always an option that as earthlings, we can have multiple homes on earth. My, my goal is to have a home in Zambia, a home in Tanzania, a home in Kenya, home in LA, uh, and uh, a home in London, right? It's possible. We have to first aspire and visualize and imagine that that's possible. But I, I invite everybody that is um, enjoying 
and living that experience in the West, at some point, you have at some point, you're going to have to question how much of this life that I'm living is real or it's an illusion. By illusion, it looks like you're living in this developed world. You have these amazing amenities. You have these beautiful cars driving past you or they might be yours or you're driving them and you're living and working to pay for them. You might want to question, is that my purpose of my life to pay for that tin on wheels or to pay for that building? Because people go into a job, get a 30 year mortgage and renew it a couple of times. And they're going right up to the moment they retire, 65, 70, they're still paying for their home. That's not the dream. That's not a dream life. So you should ask yourself, what's the definition of dream? If you can make the dream in the West and you can generate enough material wealth to fulfill your personal needs and those around you and your kids' education and the people you stand to contribute or empower in your life, by all means do and by all means thrive. Make the world a better place from wherever you're planted. But I'm saying to you, when you come back home and you come with a Western developed world experience to a phenomenal baby of a country like Zambia, you have the chance. You have the chance. You kind of, it's kind of like there's a saying, which is, you know, going to fist fight with a gun. You are over-equipped. You're over-experienced. You are... Um, well exposed from the West coming to Zambia, you have an advantage. Use your diaspora advantage. Come home and let's build a beautiful future together. Uh, I might get into politics, so all of you guys will also contribute to my campaign if you come back home. Yeah, so uh, so please do. Well, nice, nice. Well said. Um, one of my best friends back home tells me uh, Zambia is a blank canvas, so we just have to go and draw and, you know, it, it is a blank canvas, and I'm telling all of you listening now, the year is 2022. We have 10 years of phenomenal growth, five under uh, under HH's term, another five again under HH's term, hopefully if we keep him emotionally, mentally, and physically strong, and he continues in the direction that he's doing, because so far they're doing very well, right? Yeah. And we would love the leadership to stay true, honest, authentic. Um, make sure we stamp out a lot of the corrupt or tyrannical practices ensure a good democracy prevails, right? Where there is a fair playing ground that everyone has an equal chance to make it. Uh, and there is economic stimulation. And I think that economic stimulation is going to be there. The question is, are, you, are the rest of the Zambian diaspora internationally going to sit back and watch or are you going to come back and ride the wave? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what we've been discussing in the diaspora. Uh, a lot of us are looking for contracts from which I'm going to discuss with HHA once I, I get close to him. Like, what are those contracts look like? Because they want to contribute to the country while here. Like, well, before we mm -hmm. pack up and come, we can help you the roads, for instance, uh, fix uh, whatever needs to be fixed. But what type of those uh, are we also? Can we also have access to those contracts, the government contracts that they give out to people on the ground? So that's mostly what I'm going to also ask once I get close to him. No, pl please do ask. But yeah. uh, but also one thing I would say when we come back to Zambia, if we've been away for a long time, we often leave with our last memory of Zambia, which is how things were. Yeah. And what we do, what we underestimate and underrate is how the Zambian that stayed in Zambia, they've grafted, they've become upskilled, they have worked hard, they're street smart, 
They've started their own businesses. Mm. They have built it by not leaving. And so those contracts will first go to the people that are on the ground. I'll tell you, I'll tell you now. Because those people have learned how to build a team, how to manage labor, how to get employees, how to pay salaries and wages. They're already a lot more well-versed on the ground mm. than we are overseas. When I came back, I had to relearn company incorporation and this license and T-PIN and all this other stuff that has changed. That's what I'm saying. We've got to come back first with, the, with some humility as well because, yeah. because it's very easy when you come from the West to come home with a chip on your shoulder, like yeah. you know better. Yeah. And I had to really practice humility and learning. I had to be open to listening. I had to really get guidance. I, I knew the level of life I wanted and, you know, we've got our own place and flat and standard of living and, and, and life. And at the same time, I have to ask people to say, hey, can you help me with this? Who's the contact for this? How do I sort this out? We've got to ask people on the ground. We've got to give respect to the people that have stayed the time there because they are well-versed, they're well-networked. They have made uh, a lot of money themselves. So, you know, that country is is rich and it's getting richer. And, um, and they would not promise people overseas. I don't think they would. I don't think they would, but please do. Because I don't think be it's fair. I, I don't think it's fair, but also, I mean, we're still Zambians. I, I mean, yeah. I have... The, the only thing I can I can see is, is collaborations and cooperatives. Because a co-op, co-op initiative is very big in Kenya. It's called SACOs. These yeah. co-ops where they put money pool together. This pool of money is like a private equity fund. It can then go and buy a piece of land. It can then start a farming project. What they're now doing is they've started to export avocados and other vegetables. I've got direct access. We are access trying to, to emulate that. We, we are trying to emulate that. But again, it's more of people signing up and uh, putting in money together. But again, because COVID happened, people are now trying to build. People lost uh, a lot of jobs. People are getting back. Yeah. And then now fuel is up. We're going down a little bit now. But... Yeah. A lot of our fellow immigrants, some of them are truck drivers, so some people are not truck driving because they're not paying as much like before. Um, yep. So many factors. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, if you're a truck driver in the West, please don't go back to Zambia thinking of becoming a truck driver. Go back to Zambia thinking of starting a trucking company employing truck drivers. Yeah. I'm really telling you that. You've come with the experience of how you completed timesheets, uh, managed logistics, reported deliveries, uh, you know, took on order and offloading notes of whatever the goods you were you were taking from A to B, mm-hmm. you could go back and start that whole company. And you yeah. could get funding for that from a commercial bank. And, and you will get supported in that manner. But even the Zambian bank and the local Zambian politician wants to see, have you come back and put your stake in the ground? Yeah. Or are you a flying tourist in Zambia? Because now when you go back in Zambia, you're a tourist. Till, till you put a stake in the ground. Uh, well, what motivates you? What gets you up? I'm sure you have a lot. Oh, a big part of me, a big part of me, first of all, and I coach on this, which is called uh, mission-based organizations or purpose-driven organizations, is we have to have purpose. And normally, a lot of us, we mistake purpose with short-term pleasure. Yeah. And short-term pleasure is when we will be in pursuit of material wealth for temporary selfish um, pleasure so when you talk of people living the dream in the west or or going through the experience that they're going through as dreamers they might just be enjoying the material pleasures drinks night out 
parties here, takeaways, drive-throughs, uh, Uber Eats delivers food to you, etc. And you think that's the dream, but it's just a temporal pleasure of one of your five senses. But purpose will get you to bliss. Purpose is why do you exist? So when you pass away, what will be written written in your obituary? What will be etched on your tombstone? Right? What will be written of HH? This is a man that brought democracy back to a place that was turning into a tyranny. Right? This is a man that got locked up 15 times and lost six elections. Right? This is a man that restored hope in the citizen, restored integrity in the economy. Right? For me, I wrote down somewhere as a kid, I don't know when I had this philosophical moment, I wrote down somewhere in a little piece of paper and I put it in this prayer kind of uh, tube, a, a Hebrew tube called a, a mezuzah and I stuck it on my wall and many years later I opened it up and it says to uplift humanity. I want to uplift humanity. Wow. And I don't know what that means. I didn't know what that meant then, but now I'm uplifting humanity through educating them on health. I want to educate them on wealth. I want to educate them to live their purpose. And you want to look at how did the world shift because you lived in it for 60 years, 80 years, 120 years. Yeah. You tell me, how did Nancy alter the trajectory of this world that's going round, round, round because you were in it? Will you create the next powerhouse of women in media in Zambia? What is your why? Will you create access for cooperatives and access to finance or microfinance for women groups to get into investments or start education? Will you create a whole new education system? What is your why? So we always say, if your why is clear, then you spring out of bed saying, I've got to go work on that mission. I've got to go work on that mission. And for me in the area of health right now, mission at FitBank is to transform a billion lives. And it's such a big game that it's beyond my time, beyond my single reach, that the only way I can do it is by developing leaders. So we have a, a body of 50 coaches that we have globally. We train and develop them in leadership to train and develop others in taking on their well-being every day, right? If I can take that and get tomorrow to do that in government or in corporates, whether I serve them in the West or whether I serve them uh, in Asia or whether I serve them in Africa or governments in Africa, right? I have a digital product through a Zoom call like this where I can connect with them and we can alter their actions, their habits that week, which will alter the quality of their life. Right, so we're really, our tagline is life transforming, right? So we exist to really transform lives. Yeah. And if your why is clear, then the how is easy. Then you naturally spring out of bed. You naturally take care of yourself at a bodily level and at an emotional and mindset level. And, and then you go and fulfill on your mission. But if I just leap into something because I saw other people making money, there are people who go into trucking because their friends all bought trucks and they made money. But they yeah. don't know anything about a truck. Mm. They don't know anything about a truck. They don't know how many gears or gearboxes or crankshafts or whatever is in them. Like you can see how little I know about trucks myself. But but exactly, they would leap into that just because they saw their mate make money there. Yeah. They would go and supply the mines when they don't know nothing about mines or supply. Yeah. Right? Pursue what you know. Pursue your passion. Stick to your lane. Right? I can start a nutrition company. I can start a nutrition brand because I've learned this. Even though I've trained as an accountant, yeah. even though I worked in banking, I, my heart is more passionate about human well-being, optimizing the human potential, right? So that why is so clear for me, it gives me direction every day on what to do. Nice. 
All right. Last question. Have you found your concrete pastures at this point? Have I found my concrete pasture? Yeah. Uh, there are probably... There, I'm at the beginning of the concrete pasture, which is wow. we are growing FitBanker as a business. We are serving hundreds of thousands, or thousands of people globally. And we are... What I would love to do next two things I am... I am flirting with as an idea that I would like to get into one is to launch a nutrition and supplement brand so that we start to give one thing I found going back home in Zambia there's poor nutrition labeling and there are very few healthy food choices mm. I want people to have healthier drinks low sugar and uh, better snacks and supplements that would work for everyone from the youth to the middle aged to the elderly so one thing is to go into a healthy snack and nutrition company the second thing is, like I spoke earlier about uh, politics, is uh, I would love to, I'm exploring going into politics. And I'm going into politics because I think it will allow me to have a good outreach to the Zambian population to alter our perception of uh, what is success and what is, um, you know, living a life where we are uplifting each other. Uh, I'm part of many... Uh, friends and communities that I went to school with and grew up with, their life is Monday to Friday. And on Friday, you find all the WhatsApp messages to say, hey, it's Friday and they're memes of drinking. And uh, that's not the purpose of life, to just get wasted every week, yeah. right? Some people will take their whole salary and plant it into alcohol, something we actually inherited from colonialists. That's not, that's not who we were, right? It was your excess money is being put back into the economy Mostly, a lot of it was going into alcohol. And alcoholism is not even labeled alcoholism back home. It's so part of the daily culture and routine that we think it's not a problem. It's just so socially accepted. A moderate amount, once in a while, is okay if it allows you to relax, unwind, and have a good time. Yeah. But it's, it is so ingrained into how we spend our salary every month in Zambia. And if I was in a political post or a government post... Uh, and got into politics, we could change behavior to make us a healthier and truly happier nation and therefore wealthier nation. So I'm thinking um, Minister of Health? Minister of Health, maybe. Minister of Tourism, yeah. initially, maybe. Okay. Um, and uh, options. <laughs> and, uh, and let's see what goes beyond that. But, 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 but for, for the next few years, yeah, we're backing the current government um, in our intent, in our yeah. emotion, in our speech, in our messaging like we are here. Yeah. And I hope people appreciate democracy, which is when we voted somebody in, we put them in office, now let's back them. Let's not waste time fighting them. Yeah. Right? Let's let's bring back what uh, Kenneth Kaunda said, which was one Zambia, one nation. Let's not divide ourselves based on tribalism or color or language. Yeah. Uh, let's really get one Zambia, one nation. And we've got a phenomenal country to build and make a global imprint of Zambians globally as well. Lovely. I want to thank you for being here. This has been a joy for me to, to have a conversation with you. I've enjoyed every moment of this conversation. You're very thank inspirational. You so much, Your story is powerful and it will resonate with so many people. And it's just a wake up call for a lot of us in the diaspora have to say to our Zambian people and I look forward to having you again on here hopefully you know you decide to come back and this is your home 
once you start running we can promote you <laughs> absolutely thank you thank you so much for having me i wish you luck with this mission thank stay you stay connected to the purpose of your organization there are lives that they could listen to one of your podcasts and they may quit their job tomorrow because they listen to a podcast of yours that might have inspired them to pursue their dream and so your measure of success is is really look forward to hearing from somebody that says i listened to your podcast and i drafted my resignation letter and i'm going to pursue my dream and find my concrete pasture so i i wish you all the success i w- i really hope your message and your platform you can spread it far and wide please do leverage all the zambian diaspora groups that we have yeah globally and social media and it will take something to really reach out to 2000 lives how will you ensure that your video gets viewed by 2000 different people how will yeah. it get to 10000 different people yeah. because your uh, platform is a medium through which we can alter the quality of another's life so please increase your outreach reach and serve as many lives and uh, and I, i wish you all the success with uh, concrete pastures thank you thank you so much Thank you again for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. Share it with your family and friends. Tag me on your social media. I have Facebook, I have Instagram, whichever one that you use. I would also love to hear from you. Leave me a review and if there's a topic you have in mind that you'd love for me to cover, let me know as well. Look out for new episodes every week on Mondays. And I truly appreciate you being part of the community and supporting the community. Until next time, keep dreaming.